Good morning, everybody. It is a very rainy, very cold Monday morning, November 13th, 2017. Mike Lyon coming to you live with the Wicked Awesome Boston Sports Podcast. Hope you had a great weekend, everybody. And it was a nice weekend, nice end of the weekend, certainly, if you're a New England Patriots fan. Not only did they win going away 41-16 to over the Denver Broncos, they actually did it in a, a pretty expedient fashion. They did it pretty quickly. So uh, if you wanted to get some rest on your, your Sunday night, you got a, lot, a little bit more of it than usual if you're staying up to watch a Sunday night football game. An efficient, relatively easy, and convincing win for the Patriots over the Denver Broncos. They go to 7-2 and two on the season. That is tied for the best record in the AFC, along with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And those two teams really appear to be on a collision course. Uh, not only for play, the, for the for the playoffs, but also for home field advantage in the playoffs. And of course, they're going to play each other in Pittsburgh in December. So, the winner of that game is probably going to be the uh, the, the the number one seed in the AFC East and have home field advantage throughout. The, the loser probably gets a bye. This is, the Chiefs may have something to say about that, but we'll get there when we get there. In any event. Let's talk about this game last night, and we've got a lot to get to today. I, I want to get on the Celtics, too, because the Celtics, in case I don't get there by the time we're done with this show, the Celtics won their 12th game in a row yesterday, a nail-biting 95-94 win over the Toronto Raptors in Boston. They did it without Kyrie Irving, who is uh, on, in the concussion protocol. I think they got Horford back to the game, but we'll talk about it later. 12 in a row for the Boston Celtics now. Uh, after winning four in a row last week. But let's start on the football field. Um, you can do a lot of nitpicking with this game. And quite frankly, I didn't think the defense played all that well. But if you compare each of the three units, you know, you compare the Patriots offense to the Broncos offense, the Patriots defense to the Broncos defense, and certainly the Patriots special teams to the Broncos special teams. If you compare all three of those phases there is absolutely no question who dominated the game because each of the Patriots units was significantly better than each of the Denver units last night. And I told you last week, Denver's not a good football team. They really haven't played well this season. Uh, it is... I don't know if it's going to be a long... You know, if, they can, if, if it's too late for them to turn it around. They, they really they have not played well. They've lost five in a row now. And uh, they just look lost. I mean, they looked a little better on offense last night than they did against the Eagles. Um, but still, when you compare the Patriots offense to the Denver offense, no contest. Patriots defense to the Denver defense, even though the Patriots defense did not play well in spots, still no contest. And the, the mismatch of all mismatches last night was the Patriots special teams versus the Denver special teams. And I want to start there for a second. Let's recap what the Patriots did on special teams, because this was a night, quite frankly, for the ages. A... Muffed punt by Denver and a fumble recovery on the first special teams play of the game, I guess after the opening kickoff, led to a Patriots touchdown. Good coverage downfield. I mean, you can just say, well, the Broncos got dropped the punt. That's true. But there was still good coverage downfield. Even had McKenzie brought that punt in, he was about to get leveled by Nate Ebner. And Jacob Hollister was right there for the recovery. So good special teams play there. Led to a Patriots touchdown. Later on, blocked punt by Rex Burkhead. And I'm skipping a play, I know, but I'll get back to it. Rex Burkhead breaks through the line. And Rex, what a game last night Rex Burkhead had. And we'll get to him a lot more. 
Rex Burkhead breaks through the line. Some good, good, good rushing. Good, good, you know, kind of occupying of blockers. Uh, if you if you heard him interviewed after the game, he was quick to, to credit Brandon King, who kind of took on his man, got him out wide, and created an easy lane for Burkhead to get to. Just smothered that punt, uh, recovered it. It led to a Patriots field goal. I know they wish they could have put in, they wish they they could have put seven on the board, but led to a Patriots field goal. After the muffed extra point or the muffed punt and the touchdown, the Broncos came down, kicked a field goal. Deion Lewis took the ensuing kickoff all the way back for 103 yards for or a 103-yard touchdown. Uh, the third big special teams play of the first half, and I know it went a little bit out of order, but it was huge. Those three special teams plays, I mean, just obviously were the difference in the game. And let's talk about special teams for a second here, because a lot of attention has been paid to the fact that uh, Belichick stacks his special teams units. He signs a lot of guys who are special teams only players. I mean, the Patriots, if you, if you look at their special teams units, they don't have all guys who only play special teams, as Rex Burkhead obviously demonstrates, but Nate Ebner, Matthew Slater, who got hurt last night, and they didn't miss a beat, Brandon King. I mean, these are guys who almost exclusively play on special teams, and the Patriots have a bunch of them. So a lot's made of the fact that 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 Belichick stacks his unit with special teams players. And you can quibble with whether or not he should do that, and some writers have done that, Greg Bedard being the most prominent one, but Ben Volan has said it too, that why are, you know, he spends an inordinate amount of time filling out his special teams units when he could use some depth at some other spots. You can quibble with it, but here's why I think that, that Belichick is pays so much attention to special teams, and that's that you cannot, you generally don't win the game on special teams, but you can certainly lose it on special teams. And you know, if if you execute special teams play well, generally what it means is you don't turn the ball over, you don't allow big plays. I mean, stuff like that. Stuff like what happened last night, I mean, if, if, if you go back in the annals of football history, you know, if you ask Elias to look this up, I would be willing to bet that there have not been that many games when one special teams unit blocks a punt, scores a, a, a touchdown on a kickoff return, and recovers a muffed punt, muffed punt by the other team. I, I'd argue that, you know, it, it's rare for any one of those things to happen in a certain game, let alone all three. And then you throw in the, the, the delay of game penalty that, that the Denver special teams took in the second half, which led to another Patriots touchdown. I mean, it, it was a very, very, I mean, at best, an exceedingly rare game for so many special teams plays to happen in one, in one, in one game like that. But again, generally, if special teams are playing well, then you're just limiting opportunities for the other guys. You know, you're limiting kickoff return yards. You're limiting punt cover, you know, punt returns. You're executing field goals well. You know, you're, you're making sure your field goals go off without a hitch. You're making sure your punts go off without a hitch. These are fundamental plays. Belichick obviously is big on the fundamentals. And his special teams units are not necessarily designed to get turnovers. You know... But they are filled with guys who he can sit down and Joe Judge can sit down and say, look, 
here is what your fundamentals are. I don't want you to worry about anything else except executing these fundamental tasks. Staying in your lane on kick returns and punt returns. Blocking the right guys on punt coverage, you know, on field goal attempts. Fielding the ball cleanly on punts for the returners. Fielding the ball cleanly on kickoffs and knowing when to come out and when not to come out. I think, you know, I'm not, I'm not inside Patriots practices and very few people are, but I think the reason he pays such attention to special teams and singles them out is he wants to emphasize fundamentals with these guys. And if he emphasizes fundamentals and doing the fundamental things on special teams well, Belichick knows he's never going to get beat on special teams, and that's the key. If you want to win in the NFL, you cannot get beat on special teams. It very rarely happens when you're the worst special teams team, you know, the worst team on special teams, and you win a game. I mean, the Patriots pulled a game out of their, their, their you-know-what last year against Baltimore when the special teams really faltered. That was the only game you could really say that about. The Patriots don't have many games like that. Their special teams units execute. And it's nice to have a few special teams only guys where you can preach fundamentals to these guys. And they can work on those all week. And if they execute it correctly, the other team's never going to get a chance to do well on special teams. And occasionally, you'll get a game like you had last night where everything seems to come together. And the other team makes a bunch of mistakes. The Patriots don't make any mistakes. And guess what happens? The game becomes a blowout. So by preaching these fundamentals to these special teams only guys, you create a chance which you have last night, but more importantly, you create a system where special teams don't get you into trouble. So you look at the other the other phases of the game. I mean, the Patriots on offense I thought were quite good. I know they had some struggles at the end of the second half. Uh, they, they, you know, they had first and goal or, or very close to goal. I think it was from the, the two-yard line. It didn't convert after the pass interference penalty. That wasn't good, and it was especially bad. I mean, James White mixed, missed a blitz, missed a blitzer. Tough to say. For Brady to take his only sack of the game, they settled for a field goal. They could not convert their next drive into points. Settled for a field goal, but. <clears throat> If you look at the three drives after that, it was a thing of beauty for the Patriots' offense. You can say they sputtered a little bit. They were given a short field, but they converted it at the beginning of the game for seven. Again, they, they had to settle for field goals on two other drives, but they moved the ball. Then they got the ball again right before the half and just were vintage Patriots. A, a, a killer of a drive at the end of the second half, resulting in points. And, and the first ever catch by Dwayne Allen as a Patriot, goes for a touchdown. Made a really good play on that ball, by the way, while he was being held. The route was on from there, but the, the Patriots give them credit. In, in the second half, they got the football again and made sure it counted. Because, Den if you remember, Denver took the, opening took the opening kickoff, got one of the luckiest plays you're ever going to see in the middle of that drive. A third and nine play when Osweiler, I mean, I think it was Trey Flowers, hit Osweiler's arm as he threw it. The ball fluttered in the air and somehow found Demarius Thomas in stride for a first down. They converted that into a touchdown, and you thought to yourself, uh-oh, defense is struggling again. Patriots are going to need this one from Brady. And the offense just responded, absolutely responded. Took the other, took the next play, the other, the distance for a touchdown, the next drive for a touchdown. 
forced a punt, went on a 94-yard drive to end all hope of any kind of comeback for the Broncos on the next possession. I mean, the Broncos just had no answer for this offense, which, by the way, was missing one of its best players in Chris Hogan and biggest, you know, biggest, biggest playmakers and skill players. Chris Hogan did not play in the game. And another guy who didn't play in the game was Marcus Cannon. Did not make the trip to Denver, so he had to be... Adrian Waddle came in and substituted for him and played very, very well. Von Miller, and when, when you don't hear about him, when you don't hear about Von Miller, that means the guy played extremely well. Give Adrian Waddle a lot of credit because, I mean, this was a game, and this happens all the time with the Patriots. I, I don't know what it is, but this, this, boy, this happens all the time with their offensive line. You know, when guys get plugged into tough situations, backups get you know get plugged in into into starting roles against really good rushers, really good linebackers like Von Miller is, you think to yourself, boy, it's a big mismatch. And sometimes it is. But most of the time, the Patriots get their guys ready to play. And, and they come up huge. And, and Lade, Adrian Waddle came up huge yesterday against Von Miller, who just did not have an, an impact whatsoever in the game, nor did really any of the Broncos' defenders. And I know this unit is a shell of itself, and the Eagles proved that last week, but look, you're, you're still going into another team's stadium. You're still playing, you know, a mile above sea level. You know, you still have to execute this stuff. You're still playing in front of a hostile crowd. And again, it's a place where the Patriots have had some demons. And, and the Patriots offense, give them credit, they came out and just, just, just willed their way to this win and dominated the Broncos defense all day long. Brady was great. Three touchdown passes, no picks. Uh, the running backs were spectacular, I thought. Mike Gillisley was a surprise inactive yesterday. But, <clears throat> excuse me, De you know, Deion Lewis and Rex Burkhead were terrific all night. Burkhead was a star in, in two phases. Caught a touchdown pass. Obviously blocked the punt. And uh, generally just ran well. Hit a bunch of holes hard. Made some tough catches. Lewis, the same thing, had a touch, you know, Lewis really kind of a mirror mirror image game to Burkhead, scored the kickoff return, also scored a rushing touchdown, some really good runs in traffic there for the little guy, the offensive line did well to blow open some holes for them, it, it wasn't a spectacular day running the football, but it was a very efficient one, it wasn't, more importantly, it was an effective one, they ran it effectively enough where the Broncos had to guess, and as soon as they went play action, more often than not, it worked for them. Like I said at the beginning, I, I can nitpick with a couple things on offense. I thought some of the play calling left a little bit to be desired. But overall, I thought it was a pretty good game. And a good game plan by Josh McDaniels to, to, to feature the tight ends and the running backs on a day when his wide receiving core was a little short. You know, he got Brady got him involved early and often. They had no answer stopping tight ends. And if you, they, they went and they went to school on that, by the way, because the Broncos haven't been able to stop a tight end all season. The Eagles were without Zach Ertz last week, their best tight end, and still were able to pick apart the Broncos with tight ends. The Patriots did the same thing yesterday, whether that was Gronk. Martellus Bennett, his first game as a Patriot, results in three catches. Dwayne Allen obviously gets the touchdown. Uh, and they should have had another one, by the way. I mean, that, that catch by Gronk, that was a catch. That was definitely a catch. I don't care what anybody says. That was absolutely a catch. It never should have been over to, it, it never should have been upheld like that. 
but I, I guess I understand why they, they didn't see conclusive visual evidence or indisputable, indisputable visual evidence that he caught the ball. I definitely thought he caught it. I thought that should have been a touchdown for Gronk, but it didn't matter in the grand scheme of things. In any event, it was a very, very good day for the offense. The defense, I didn't particularly think the defense played great through most of that game. They played well in the bend but don't break mode. You know, they, they gave up some drives in the first half. They didn't break, and you have to give them credit for that. They bent, they stiffened at the goal line and made some big plays. So give them credit for that. Malcolm Butler was... <laughs> well, Malcolm Butler didn't have a good game against Emmanuel Sanders, obviously. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty easy to... I mean, Emmanuel Sanders ran circles around the guy. And uh, it was, yeah, it was tough sledding for Malcolm all night. But I, I don't want to kill a guy when the guy's been down. Boy, I, I tell you what, though. Emmanuel Sanders really enjoyed that 130-yard game and a 25-point loss, didn't he? He really enjoyed his own stats, getting 130 points while his team was getting pounded. Seemed like any time he caught a ball, he was, oh, I'm, I'm excited. I caught the ball. Look at me, baby. Look at me. Look at me. His team was getting pounded all night. I'm just like, dude, Relax. But in any event, the, the defense, like I said, I didn't think it was great. I thought by the end of the game it was a decent showing. They came up with some stops when they needed to come up with some stops. They made some good tackles when they needed to make some good tackles. That play that Jonathan Jones made, Jonathan Jones made a tackle. I think it was 34-16 to in the second half. The Broncos had begun, the Patriots had just scored a touchdown. The Broncos had begun a drive and had gotten to about midfield and faced about a third and eight, I want to say. And Osweiler threw an out route to his tight end. And it was he was one-on-one -on -one with Jonathan Jones out there. They needed a tackle from Jonathan Jones, and he gave it to him with a really good tackle, forcing the Broncos short. I thought it was a ridiculous, ridiculous decision for Vance Joseph to punt that ball instead of go for it down 18 in the third, late in the third quarter. But in any event, Patriots took the ball the other way and scored a touchdown after that. Great play by Jonathan Jones. He gets lost in that whole decision to, to make that open field tackle. Because if he doesn't make that tackle, it's a first down, and God knows what happens after that. You know, the Broncos score a touchdown. They get a two-point conversion. All of a sudden, it's a 10-point game. Uh, so they made some big tackles. I thought Stephon Gilmore, for the most part, played pretty well. Uh, he did get beat for that touchdown, but that wasn't terrible coverage against Demarius Thomas. He may have given up one. I mean, you know, you, Thomas's numbers don't look all that bad because he scored that that touchdown that didn't matter, and he got that, you know, twenty or twenty-five yard catch on a ball that never should have been like that. I mean, the Patriots defense did everything right, and the ball just fluttered to him. I mean, his his numbers are going to look a lot better than how he actually played. I thought Stephon Gilmore was pretty good in his return to the lineup. They didn't have a ton of, you know, real problems in the secondary in terms of communication. So, give the Patriots defense a little bit of credit. I did not think it was their best effort, but still, they held an opposing team on the road to 16 points and came up with a turnover late in the game to put it away. And you can say, where, where's the pass rush going? Because the Patriots' pass, you know, the pass rush yesterday was not really effective. They did get, uh, you 
know, that, that, that deflection in the backfield that went for a, a completion that never should have been. They helped a little bit on the goal line on the uh, the interception by Chung late in the game. The rush helped that helped rush that throw a little bit. And you can say to yourself, "Where's the pass rush going?" You know, you wanted to, it was better early on in the season. Why isn't it effective now? But again, they didn't build this defense thinking that this pass rush was going to be great. They built this defense thinking that this pass rush was going to be the weak spot anyway. You know, Dante Hightower getting hurt changes that a little bit. But they, they built up the secondary and the linebacking core thinking to themselves that we're going to make up for a lack of a pass rush with good coverage and good tackling downfield. That's how this defense is built. And I think that's it, 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 what you saw last night in terms of the Patriots' defense, is probably what you're going to get a lot down the stretch. You know, they don't face a ton of great offenses. They do face the Steelers. The Raiders' offense next week is not bad. But after, other than those two, they don't face a ton of great offenses down the stretch. As a matter of fact, other than those two, I think they face all AFC East teams. So that tells you everything you need to know. Um, so maybe you get better defensive performances against the, you know, the divisional teams, but... Against the Raiders and the Steelers, I think they're going into bend but don't break mode. And if they do that, they think, you know, if they go into bend but don't break mode, Patriots feel like they have a great chance to win. And obviously they did last night. So where does that leave them again? 7-2 on the season. Amazingly, they've only played one game in the division. But they now have a two-game lead in the division. Buffalo got absolutely walloped yesterday by the New Orleans Saints at home. I think it was something. At one point, it was 47 to three. I think Buffalo may have scored a garbage time touchdown, and the final score was 47 to 10. They got absolutely smoked yesterday at home, and it's the second week in a row that Buffalo has dropped one relatively convincingly. So the Bills may be fading, as many thought they might. The Jets lost a bad game yesterday. No one really thought the Jets were anything anyway, but the Jets, Jets lost a bad game to the Bucks on a long week. The Dolphins play tonight. The Dolphins have not played well. They're 4-4. Four and four. They desperately need to win tonight in Carolina if they want any chance of the playoffs or any chance of this division. I don't expect that to happen. So not surprisingly, in the driver's seat for the AFC East is your New England Patriots. They're going to win this division again in all likelihood. They've got a lot of divisional games left, which is different. You know, they still have to go to Buffalo. They still have to go to Miami, and they never play well in Miami. I know that. You know, they've had a little bit of struggle in Buffalo, but, boy, the, the, you know, neither of these teams look particularly good right now. Neither of them look particularly good. And I don't think anybody thinks any of them are beating the Patriots in Foxborough, especially when it's cold outside. So the Patriots are very much in the driver's seat for the division. Very much in the thick of things in the AFC playoff picture. They stay in Colorado this week. And again, this is this begins this weird kind of two-week stretch for the Pats. Because on Sunday, this Sunday, they're going to play the Oakland Raiders in Mexico City. In what should be a relatively hostile environment. The, the Raiders have a pretty good following down in Mexico. Uh, you would think the Patriots probably have some fans down there too, so... You know, you'll see what kind of crowd you get. But in any event, they're playing it in the in the Azteca Stadium. 
which is as high, if not higher, than, than, than Denver. And you think to yourself, well, maybe that's an advantage. You know, they, they, they just played a game in Denver. They're going to be out there all week. They're going to train for it. Then they'll fly to Mexico. And, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll be able to kind of get acclimated to that environment. We'll see how that happens. But uh, a really nice win for the Patriots yesterday anyway. A convincing one again. I know Denver's not a great football team, but still, it's a place they never play well, and they went in there, and they won absolutely convincingly. So, another week, another week, another win for the Patriots, 7-2 on the season. It's on to Oakland. Now, let's switch gears for a second, because I, I would be absolutely remiss this Monday if I did not mention the Boston Celtics and talk about what the Boston Celtics are still doing. Still doing. Still doing. They went into last week having won eight in a row. They go into this week having won 12 in a row. And it's not just that they're winning, it's the way they're doing it. They can, you know, they, they're, they've proven that they're a real, that, that, that they're definitely a team and they can win no matter who's on the floor. Because yesterday, Kyrie Irving didn't play. In Friday night's game, by the way, against Charlotte, he got knocked out relatively early with, with, he took an elbow, I think, to the jaw or to the, to the nose. and They pulled him out. He's in the concussion protocol, and he, they held him out yesterday. So he may still be in the protocol. Didn't matter. The Celtics played a tight game against the Toronto Raptors, who, by the way, are a very good team and are going to challenge. We're supposed to challenge the Celtics this season for the divisional title. Well, the Celtics went into that game at home without Kyrie Irving and just gutted one out. 95-94 over the Raptors. 12 wins in a row. 12 in a row for the New England Patriots. I'm going to say it again because it's awesome again. 12 wins in a row. 12-2 on the young season. They lost their first two. Now 12 in a row, you can't say it enough. And if anybody thought the Celtics were capable of winning I, half of those games, even five, four games in a row, Without Gordon Hayward this year, raise your hand, because I didn't. I did not. I thought it might be a struggle for the Celtics. Boy, was I wrong. Boy, was I wrong. I keep waiting for this thing to end, and someday, ladies and gentlemen, it will end. They're not going to win out, although it would be awesome if they did. They're not going to win out, but man, can this team play basketball, and man, can Brad Stevens coach. If you look at some of the box scores for this team, I mean, again, you, you know the Celtics are winning because they're so balanced. But look at some of these box scores. Marcus Smart comes into the starting lineup for Kyrie Irving. And you know Marcus plays hard and he's a valuable member of the team. And he's not really the offensive threat that Kyrie is, although nobody is. But, you know, he goes 3 out of 10 from the field. Not a good shooting day for him. But still, listen to this. 14 points, 9 rebounds, and 5 assists from Marcus Smart. That is a great line for somebody coming in and starting on a, on a minute's notice. And a really good line for Marcus. Jalen Brown, 18 points, 6 rebounds, 3 assists. Al Horford, game-high 21 points, 4 rebounds, 3 assists. Terry Rozier, 16 points, 6 rebounds, 3 assists off the bench. Jason Tatum, 13 points, 7 rebounds. Even Marcus Morris, off the bench, 8 points, 5 rebounds. I mean, they're getting contributions from everywhere. I mean, it's it's such a balanced team and such a, 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 a 
a team as a whole. I mean, they, they, they do it all together. They play for each other. It's so fun to watch these guys. Now, I don't know what else you want to, you want to say about these guys. I mean, you can break down different different players and say, well, he's doing this, he's doing that. I, and maybe I should be doing that, and I apologize if the Celtics coverage isn't as deep. But... You know, it's it, it's just fun to see them play. You know, the, play, see them play the way they do as a team. And you do wonder to yourself if Gordon Hayward was in this lineup. And you know, no one's going to argue that the Celtics wouldn't be a better team, or you know, that they're a better team without Gordon Hayward than they would be with him. I mean, no one's going to argue that. I'm not going to argue that. But you do wonder if Hayward had been in this lineup, would they be playing the same kind of cohesive ball? and team-oriented ball that they are right now. And it's not to say that Gordon Hayward is a me-first guy. He's not, and he wouldn't be with the Celtics. But, you know, it's because he's not playing, because he's not in this lineup, it is fair to wonder that. Now, again, I'm not saying that just, you know, because I want Gordon Hayward off this team. For any reason, I don't. I want him back, and I hope he gets healthy, and I think they'll be better when he gets back next season. But, man, are they playing well together now, as 12 wins in a row can obviously attest. And, you know, I don't want to go overboard and break into each individual players down. You know, obviously, I want to get Kyrie back. But, boy, they're playing great. It's been a lot of fun to see this. It's been a lot of fun to watch the Celtics. More power to them. So if you're wondering to yourself where the Celtics are going to go from here, because I was wondering that this morning, the Celtics have the trap game to end all trap games this Wednesday. And you'll realize why when I tell you what's coming after that. They play at Brooklyn on, uh, like I said, Wednesday night. It might be on TV. Now, obviously, it's going to be on, uh, on in Boston. But it could be on national TV if you're not around. And like I said, that is a game the Celtics should win. They should be thir- you know, they should be 13 in a row. They just beat the Nets last week. They should go into Brooklyn and win that game too. It should be 13 in a row on Wednesday. But again, trap game to end all trap games because what's because of what's coming up on Friday. And they, that's when they return home to play the Golden State Warriors. On Friday night, 7:30, 8 o'clock p.m. It'll be somewhere in there. That game is on TNT. That will be worth watching. I'll certainly be tuning into that. And do I have those dates wrong, by the way? I do. I have those dates wrong. I'm sorry. That game is Thursday night. It's the 16th. And the game against the Nets is tomorrow night. So, trap game to end all trap games tomorrow night. I apologize. Against the Nets. Thursday against the Warriors. And I'll certainly be watching that. I actually have to take a business trip this week. I'll cut off my dinner short just to get in my room and watch that game. (laughs) I don't care that much. It's going to be worth it. Uh, so let's see. This this will be a, 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 a an interesting job for Brad Stevens coaching this week. The Celtics have played a lot of basketball and are going to play a lot more. You know, they don't get a lot of rest. They basically played every other day last week. They're going to keep playing every other day until they play the Warriors on Thursday. They got tonight off. They play again tomorrow. Then they get Wednesday night off, come back home, play the Warriors on Thursday. You know, it, it's it's going to be an interesting job for Brad Stevens to get his guys up for this game on, th- on Tuesday night because now you're on a 12-game winning streak. you got to keep it rolling. 
and you don't want to have a letdown anyway before you go play the go play the Warriors. And that's a game, by the way, I really think the Celtics can win against the Warriors. I really think they can win that game. They came very close to beating them last year in Boston. And again, you know, you're talking about a completely different team last year, I know, but you're not talking about a different coaching staff. And you are talking, you know, some of the guys are still holdovers. I mean, Al Horford remembers that game. Marcus Smart remembers that game. Jalen Brown remembers that game, and Jalen Brown's a different player now, so's Marcus. I certainly hope they can play the game with Kyrie. I think they'll, have a, they'll, they'll, they'll struggle to win it without Kyrie just because the Warriors are so good on offense. I mean, the Celtics will play them tough defensively, but, you know, you hold the Warriors to like 105 points defensively, you're doing pretty good. You're doing pretty well. So I hope they can play it with Kyrie. I have not heard what his status is going to be this week. Would not be surprised if he does not play tomorrow night. Uh, I certainly, you know, Kyrie obviously wants to play that game on Thursday. He'll do everything in his power to get back for it. But watch the Celtics this week. They continue to keep it rolling. We will do all kinds of a Celtics preview on uh, probably on Wednesday, and, and I'll get to this. I'll get to the schedule again in a little bit. We'll get into that game a lot more. Before I uh, I, I go and uh, and close the show and kind of give you the preview of what's to come this week. Anybody see Mookie Betts yesterday? Anybody see Mookie? Mookie bowled a three. He's in a PBA, a Professional Bowlers Association tournament out in Las Vegas. I think it's 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 an open tournament or something like that. I'm pretty sure it's in Vegas. He bowled a 300 yesterday. And anybody who knows Mookie Betts or has kind of paid attention to him off the floor or off the field knows he's, he's a pretty darn good bowler. 300 game in a Professional Bowlers Association event. That's how good the guy is. So... Shout out to Mookie Betts just for doing that. There's video of it on, uh, I think the Red Sox actually might have picked up the video and put it on their Twitter feed if you didn't see it. Shout out to Mookie. Glad he's enjoying his offseason. Uh, so just wanted to mention that and say shout out to Mookie for the 300 game yesterday. I think my best bowling game is like 150, and that was like the game of a lifetime. So I got a lot of respect for that. So that's our show for today. To preview where we're going to go this week. Uh, again, we are only we're gonna have four shows. Again, I'm gonna probably miss Thursday's show. I'll do my best for that one, but it's probably not going to happen. Uh, again, a business trip this week. Thursday probably will not happen, but we will have a show every other day. We'll have a show tomorrow. Tomorrow we will most likely continue. Uh, you know, barring anything breaking or, or big between you know the next 24 hours. Tomorrow we will continue our Red Sox off-season outlook because we don't really have any other time this week to do it. Uh, we will get into some of the we'll get into the pitching tomorrow. Uh, we spent most of the time on the outfield and the hitting last week. We'll get into the pitching tomorrow and see where they're going to go with the pitching staff. That'll be tomorrow. With any time left over, we'll talk Bruins and uh, maybe get a little bit into where they're going to go. Wednesday. Assuming we're gonna break down, we'll break down the Celtics game against the Nets on Tuesday night, and we will get you ready for a very big showdown with the Golden State Warriors on Thursday night. And I apologize for doing it a day in advance, but again, I don't think I'm gonna be able to do a show on Thursday morning. So we'll do the Celtics and the Warriors preview on uh, Wednesday in, during that show, and uh, we'll obviously get caught up in any other news over the next uh, over the past couple of days that we did not get to Tuesday. Friday, of course, is Patriots Preview Friday. The show will probably come a little later in the day. 
So if you're used to uh, listening to it in the morning, I apologize for that. Uh, the show will probably come a little later in the day on Friday just because my commute's a little little messed up uh, with, the, with the drives I've got to take this week. We will get a show in on Friday, though, and we will do the Patriots preview on Friday. We'll get you ready for the Raiders game uh, in Mexico City on uh, on Sunday. So that's what it's going to look like for the next for the week. Obviously, we will talk Bruins. Obviously, we'll talk more Celtics uh, and, and, and discuss what's going on with those guys when we can, and we'll fit everything in uh, as we go about doing it. Remember, thanks for listening to us in Anchor. You can always listen to us in Anchor live, and, and as I post the uh, post everything to the station, we make episodes after every after every show, and we get them on iTunes and Google Play about as fast as we can. Episodes usually available on uh, uh, during the mid afternoon on on, uh, on on iTunes and Google Play. So go in there, listen to us, download us, rate us if you could. Us a good rating if you like what you're hearing. Really appreciate all the support that you give us, all the listening that you do. For now, we will sign off on a rainy Monday morning. Make the best of it, though. Have a great week. We will see you here tomorrow morning on the Wicked Awesome Boston Sports Podcast. Goodbye, everybody.